All right, let's talk about Jonah. Joel said I was going to cut and, what did you say, slice? Uh, Give him the boldness to slice. I assure you that's not my intention. So if you're getting sliced, then blessed are you because the Holy Spirit might be doing some surgery, okay? So that's a a good thing, slicing and dicing. Um, I got my big clock up here so I don't get too long-winded. So I got to look at it right here. I go, okay, what's my cutoff? All right. That looks good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, we've got some reading to do. So if you're not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's story time. I want to read the rest of Jonah to you because I get the sense that even though everybody knows about the whale and Jonah getting swallowed, probably not too many people have actually read it. And it's only two and a half pages long. We've already, or Shano already read part of it. So I want to finish it. Uh, and while I read, oh, first of all, I was going to say, just to reiterate what Brian said, is, is that if you're not comfortable, if you're new here, we run a pretty loose operation. You're free to get up. While I'm talking, I won't be offended. You move, get closer to the campfire, or something like that, more comfortable. So I want you to be comfortable. And I really uh, ask you to give me your ears when I, when I read, I know it's hard to listen to someone just reading, but it's really important that we get the, the big picture of Jonah. It's a very short story, and it's a very, very cool story. I mean, I love it. I'm really excited to just sit here and talk about it. Hopefully, I have a perspective that might be a little different, and uh, so there you have it. Everybody's got a slightly different slice on any good story, so mine might be a little different, but I, but I do want you also to pick up on something Brian said two weeks ago. He says, one of the best ways to look at anything in the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, is to put on gospel glasses and to look at it in light of Jesus, in light of of his gospel. And Jonah in particular, Jesus mentions Jonah a couple times. And if there's anything different in my take on this, it's that most people just key in on what Luke said. He says, for as, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in, in the, the heart of the earth, you know, before rise. So there's that, there's that picture. But I believe there's a, there's a bigger thing with Jonah that Jesus was alluding to and, and why he keeps talking about Jonah. While I read this, I want you to think about inversion, okay, or what's another, or reversal. When Jesus came declaring the kingdom, it came as a great inversion and a reversal The first become last. Those that are invited to a great feast are not the ones that come. Somebody else comes. Okay? There's inversions going on in the ministry of Jesus. And as I read Jonah, I want you to think about that and have that in your mind. And I'm going to just paraphrase what Shano read about the tempestuous seas. (laughs) That you were here. He nailed that. Let's paraphrase. Let me just talk you through the first part for those of you that weren't here. The story of Jonah begins, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to to prophesy to them for their sin has risen up to me. Okay? Most people know. What did Jonah do? He bailed. Nineveh's northeast. 
he decides, I'm going to go down to the city of Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean, and I'm going to go to Tarshish, which was about the furthest place you could go to away from anywhere at that, at that time. So he goes, and it says that he flees from the presence of the Lord. He heads for Tarshish. It says that God raised up a big storm, okay? Winds, storm, he's in this boat. The sailors wake him up. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And they start calling out on their gods, plural. They wake up Jonah to call on his god. And eventually, he gets thrown overboard. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God. I'm fleeing from the presence of God. They throw him overboard. The sea's calm. And a fish comes eventually and engulfs a great fish that everybody knows about and engulfs Jonah. First reversal, okay, is the sailors. If you were here, I'm sorry, I'm not reading this part, so you just have to remember if you were, if you were here. Jonah's the man of God, isn't he? He's God's servant. He's the prophet of God. He departs from the presence of the Lord and runs. Who, who starts getting real religious and real spiritual? The sailors, pagan sailors end up calling out on the God of Jonah. First reversal. That's interesting. Okay. Now find Jonah if you have your Bibles. I've got to look for it too. I thought I had my place here. Okay, we're going to pick up. I'll read through it. And like I said, just give me your ears. Listen to the whole story. You got the first part. We paraphrased it. Let's keep going with the story. Jonah's now in the ocean. He's scooped up by a giant fish, it says. And it says in chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, and you'll notice that this sounds like a run-on of a lot of psalms here. He's basically quoting a lot of psalms. This is Jonah in the fish. I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, or the place of the dead, and thou didst hear my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All thy breakers and thy billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou hast brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee, into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. 
Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn away from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring upon them And he did not do it. We're going to stop right there for a minute. If the story ended right there, it would be be an interesting story. It's very clean. It's very neat. God's servant asked to do something. God's servant says no. He bails. He rebels. Calamity strikes. He enters into what alcoholics call a, uh, a bottom experience. Okay? All of his prayers are just psalms. They're psalms. If you, my Bible's full of little side notes showing you where you can go and read those psalms. He's calling out psalms. The experience of being in the pit. He has run from the presence of God and he's ended up in a real death experience. We get hung up on the fish. I'm not even going to touch the fish. We all know about the fish. The real thing to look at is it's a death experience. It's a bottom. It's a pit. And he calls out using Psalms. And he's delivered. Right? He's restored to God. And he goes on and does what God told him to do. And lo and behold, Nineveh repents. They turn to God. They call out to God. They they repent of their evil ways. And they all live happily ever after. Right? So isn't that a great story? Okay. To me, that's a little bit of a boring story. It's very neat, but it's about to get a lot uglier. It's very tidy, and it fits a lot of good doctrine and everything else. But it's about to get meatier and more nuanced, and it's about to get really interesting. To me, this is Jonah, where we're about to go right now. So keep reading. There's inversions going on here, just like there always is in the kingdom of God. The first are last, the last are first. Feasts are thrown, the wrong people show up, and then we've got to ask the others. Chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Wow, that's interesting. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, and I think a great sermon would be the questions that the Lord asked. Adam, where are you? Right in the start of the Bible. Here's a good one. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? Then Jonah went out from the city, and he sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. I reckon he was hoping maybe God would change his mind and let's see if we get a little Sodom and Gomorrah going here. So the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about his plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die. Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, which is an interesting thing that he's going to say here because he keys in on not the heat, He's in on something else that's going on inside Jonah. He says, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? I love that. Got to throw the animals in there. What's going on here? This is a weird story. It was a perfect story, and then they ruined it. Right? It was perfect. He comes back, he obeys. He's obedient. But something's going on here with Jonah. Is it possible to obey God and yet flee from Him at the same time? Um, Why was Jonah angry when God called him to go to preach? If he had, well, let me back up. To, to follow up on something Brian said two weeks ago, you have to talk briefly about Nineveh. In the time of Jonah, some of you will probably know this already, the ruling empire of that day in the Middle East was the Assyrian Empire. Okay, And it was a brutal empire. They've discovered the ruins of Nineveh, which was the capital city, the largest city of the Assyrian Empire. And it's right across the river from Mosul, which is where they caught uh, Saddam's two sons and killed them. It's in the news. 
right across the street, right across the river, is Mosul, which is the remains of Nineveh. And if you go to those remains, there's these big tablets where they drew all kinds of pictures showing the exploits of the Assyrian Empire, and Nineveh in particular. And they would go into neighboring lands, and they would pillage, plunder, enslave people, and bring them back to Nineveh and to the Assyrian Empire. So, did jo- so knowing that helps us understand a little bit about Jonah. What's going on with Jonah? What's going on with God? What's he doing? Okay? And clearly, there's a difference of opinion going on and a conflict of opinion between the servant of God and between God. Clearly, God is intending to do something which is way outside the box of Jonah and his political, national, religious understanding. It's okay if you want to wipe out Nineveh. It's okay as in 2 Kings, if a prophecy comes through me which restores land that was taken from the Assyrians. But I don't quite get this, God. You're asking me to go preach. And there was something in Jonah's spirit. He perceived not that God was going to destroy Nineveh, but that God was going to show mercy and kindness to Nineveh, right? How, how do I know that? He says, uh, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning evil. He sensed and perceived that God was going to show mercy to Assyrians and to Nineveh. They're the enemy. They're bad people. They're evil people. They're not, this doesn't fit Jonah's picture of God's call and what, what is... Going what is right. Okay, enough said about that. I want to segue from that. You've heard the whole story. I want to take it into the New Testament because there's a connection here that I want to draw. And if you have your Bibles, go to Luke uh, chapter 15. Turn right at Jonah and head that way. Luke 15, verse 1, and then I'm going to go somewhere else with it. But chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him, meaning Jesus. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then it goes into a bunch of, a bunch of stories and parables, but the one I want to key in on is the most famous one of all of them, is the story of the prodigal son. And most of you probably know the story well enough that I can just paraphrase it. But think about this story for a minute and think about uh, what's going on with Jonah and what's going on in the parable of the prodigal son. We always think of the first son. If you don't know the story, the story of the prodigal son, a father has two sons. One of them says, Father, I want to leave. I want want you to give me my inheritance now. And he takes, the father gives it to him and he goes off into a far land and he 
he squanders the money in loose living. Then later, he comes back. And he goes, because he's out there and he's living in the pig slop and eating stuff that the pigs eat. And he's, he is too is having a bottom out experience. A, uh, you know, just as Jonah did in a sense. He had, he's having a bottom experience. He's eating the pig styles. He says, my father's house, even the servants eat better than this. I will go back to my father. I'll say I'm unworthy, okay, to be your son, to be called your son. But please take me back as your servant. We know that as he's coming back to the father's house, the father runs to him and embraces him and hugs him, right? And puts a ring and a robe on his finger. And it's a beautiful story. And they, they kill the fatted calf and they, they put purple on him. They, they do the whole nine yards. But let me find the end of it because I want to I read something here. 15, hold on one sec. So bring the fatted, verse 23, I'll read from there. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and, had been, and has been found. And they began to be merry. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he became angry. All right? And was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, the father says to his older brother, the older son, and get the tenderness of this. Because to me, there's a, I tie these two together so much. Jonah and the two sons. Listen to the tenderness. God speaks to Jonah very tenderly. Jonah has got an issue going on, right? He hates, he has no place in his heart for God extending his mercy to them, okay? I hate them, and he hated them for good reason, okay? He's got a hard issue, and so does the big brother here. And yet in both cases, there's an encouragement to all of us Jonas and big brothers here. Jesus speaks really harshly at Pharisees in places in the Gospels. You brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs, you, you will save you from the doom to come. You know, just, wow, harsh. But in the, this parable, there is real hope for older brothers and Jonas. Such tenderness. The father says to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and he was lost and has been found. 
Jonah and the big brother. I mean, if there's anything to me, the sign of Jonah to me is the sign of this whole story. It's God's mercy going out to the wrong people to, and a clash of wills and a clash of opinions. The Pharisees, obviously the, the parable of the prodigal son was not spoken really to, in regards to the first son. It was spoken in regards to the second. He led off the whole parable that there was Pharisees, religious leaders, who couldn't buy that he was hanging with tax gatherers and sinners. God's kingdom was going to them and they were being passed over. So, do you kind of follow what I'm saying? Because I want to go somewhere else. I just want to, I want to key in and make it a little bit more personal. Do you see the parallel between those two? It's, it's in my brain. I'm just like going, okay, you, you get that? Do you see it? Do you see why Jesus might have liked to refer to Jonah? Look, the sign of Jonah, yeah, three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah is his ministry. God had a word of mercy, reconciliation, that he wanted to engulf Ninevites, Assyrians. You could argue his own enemies. You know, he can't buy that. God... They are your enemies, okay? I, I can understand mercy and all this stuff, but not to them. You must re- see this, God. They're the bad guys. I don't like them. You don't like them. Lord, that I should pray against my enemies and that you should come and smite them like the Psalms. He's all down with that. But that I should go seeking blessing for them. I don't get it. Jesus' ministry was all about that. Who was his greatest conflict with? It was just that. It was that the mercy is coming. He's got a word of reconciliation from the Father, but those who he would intend it to are not receiving it because their hearts are hard. Okay? And possibly for good reason. He came unto his own. And his own received him not, but to as many as received him, even if they're sailors, pagan sailors, even if they're a king of the enemy nation, but anywhere that, that they receive, you can enter in. This feast is for you. But those that it was intended to, God darn it, does he not want them to be a part of the party? He does. He does. But here's what I got. I gave myself, I got like a few more minutes. Stick with me. Because I want to make this a little bit more personal. We have to understand one thing. Jonah's reason for not wanting to do this, his reason for his opinion, you could call this when opinions clash, right? Brian quotes Tim Keller, this great quote where he says, when good things become ultimate things, they become idols. Because they become the ruling thing of your life. Jonah's opinion of the Ninevites was correct. If, you would have, if he would have been on the talk shows in, what was his city? Gath Heifer, where he was from. All the talk shows, the talking heads and everything, it would have all been talking about the Assyrians, Ninevites, and I don't think it would have been very pretty. It's them. It's the, who knows, it's the ACLU, it's those Republicans, it's those Democrats, it's you name it. 
Opinions, we've all got them, right? Like belly buttons, to be polite, okay? We have, we have opinions. Everybody does. They're okay, all right? Our opinions good? Our beliefs good? Our biblical beliefs good? They're good. But when they become the ultimate thing and they are the, what you're obeying, they become idols. Jonah had an idol issue and his idol was that he held a paradigm and a belief that was uncrackable almost. And it was right. And you, we need to see that the opinion was correct. It's a good opinion. And the reason I'm saying this is because you have some good opinions too. And I have some great opinions. <laughs> and they're right. Okay? Do you have reason to not like that neighbor? Yes, I have a reason unto death, God. It's, they're bad people. Right? But if my opinions, if I hold that out, and when you get older, there's a lot of young people here, I, I pray you don't become like me because I, you, you, a sign of old age is you start turning off the rock and roll and you start listening to AM talking head radios and stuff. And it's just, oh my gosh. Opinions, okay, becoming these ultimate things to argue and fight over and create prejudices. Jonah had his opinions of the Assyrians and it didn't meld with God's heart and intention. Somewhere, and the, the Pharisees did. God bless them. I love the Pharisees because you know what? We're so much like them if, as Christians, as religious people. If you see them as just these hypocrites that you're nothing like, you're missing their blessing to you. Their blessing to you is a warning. Okay? And your opinions need to be subjected to Christ. It's very simple, but it's not hard. The story of Jonah, it's great. He comes and everything, they repent and all this stuff. If God was only after obedience, that story would have ended where, at, before chapter 4. But God's always after more than that. He's after transformation here, inside, okay? Inside your heart. He went after Jonah. Jesus went after the Pharisees with a real gentle rebuke. Don't you see? Can't you see my mercy and my love? Um. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up because I'm, I'm out of my time. And I hope some of that's connecting and getting through because my last word here is an exhortation to maybe several, okay? One is, obviously, if you're the sinner and the pagan, you're, you're in a good spot because God's mercy is going to you and, hey, you can come on in. But the, the issue is here with Jonah, with the Pharisees, is a conflict of opinions. The Pharisees had theirs and they were right. Jonah had his and he was right. Logical, sound, biblical. But God doesn't deal on right and wrong all the time or justice. What triumphs over justice? Some, anybody, call it out. Mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice. It's a quote from the Bible. 
we have strongholds of opinions in our own mind and they're, tr they're trying to get the ascendancy all the time. And I guess my exhortation is to be open to the idea that the, the Christian life is almost none other than God trying to come in and transform some of this thinking. And He will lead you into very broad territory Okay, if you're open and you allow that. If you allow, some of your opinions are political opinions. Some of my, I should, you, us. Some of our opinions, we get political you know, opinions. Some of them are religious opinions or, or beliefs, doctrines that we create into idols. They're more important to us than anything else. For some of you, there's some really strong opinions about yourself that might need to be usurped. God might be speaking love and mercy to the, to the child inside of you that was wounded when you were little. There's words of compassion from the loving God for you. Okay? There may be strong opinions of unforgiveness. This is the kingdom. God wants to come into our hearts and transform them. He doesn't just want your obedience. Jonah could have obeyed. He could have gone to church, gone to synagogue. He could have he could have tithed. He could have avoided eating pork. He could have continued to do all of that stuff and none would have been the wiser. Only two people would have known, Jonah and God, that he was actually hardening his heart to the Word of God to him. In your own hearts, as a Christian, and now I'll speak to the Christian. Well, no, I won't. Everybody. Christian or not, whatever. Unforgiveness, hardness, pain. All of these opinions and they get so strong man you hold on to God wants them to not be on the throne of your heart but he wants to be on the throne of your heart and he wants to come in and bridge a gap to bring reconciliation okay I'm going to end with one uh, this one just came to my mind this uh, Jonah by the way the word Jonah means dove peace the Spirit of God, you know. Dove. Laura told me that this morning. I thought that was very cool. Laura also is a huge Sting fan. I love Sting too, but I'm afraid he's the only one that I really fear if he showed up and said, Laura, come with me. <laughs> See you, Scott. <laughs> there may be others, but I know that one. She loves Sting. So, Again, I hope some of this gets through. I want to end with this. And it's, it, the song is basically, it's a beautiful poem by Sting. It's a song. And it's, it's speaking of a relationship, I believe. You can interpret it any way you want. But there's a relationship that's gone on. But there's a, there's a place and a need for reconciliation. All right? But it can be reconciliation on so many levels. Whatever it is, I know there's things in our hearts that the opinions strongly held hurts, pains, things that we were right and they are wrong. And there is something higher than right and wrong and God wants, He wants to reconcile you to Himself and He wants you for your own sake to get through this stuff and to be reconciled to others as well. So I'll end with this. Under the ruins of a walled city, crumbling towers and beams of yellow light, no flags of truce, no cries of pity. The siege guns had been pounding all through the night. It took a day to build the city, 
we walked through its streets in the afternoon. As I returned across the lands I'd known, I recognized the fields where I'd once played. I had to stop in my tracks for fear of walking on the mines I'd laid. And if I built this fortress around your heart, encircled you in trenches and barbed wire, then let me build a bridge, for I cannot fill the chasm, and let me set the battlements on fire. Then I went off to fight some battle that I'd invented inside my head, away so long for years and years, you probably thought or even wished that I was dead. While the armies are all sleeping beneath the tattered flag we'd made, I had to stop in my track for fear of walking on the mines I'd made, laid. And if I built this fortress around your heart, encircled you in trenches and barbed wire, then let me build a bridge, for I cannot fill the chasm, and let me set the battlements on fire. This prison has now become your home, a sentence you seem prepared to pay. It took a day to build the city. We walked through its streets in the afternoon. As I returned across the lands I'd known, I recognized the fields where I'd once played. I had to stop in my tracks for fear of walking on the mines I'd laid. And if I built this fortress around your heart, encircled you in trenches and barbed wire, then let me build a bridge, for I cannot fill the chasm, and let me set the battlements on fire. Uh, let's pray over that. Why don't you stand? I went over my limit. Thank you so much for not walking away. <laughs> Why don't you grab the hand of the person next to you? Heavenly Father, thank you for we just thank you for your message, God. I I thank you that you are a God of reconciliation and mercy. I thank you that you are higher than I am, that you are bigger than right and wrong, you are bigger than my opinions. Lord, and I, I pray today that uh, we pray today. Lord, we, we set ourselves before you, and as Paul said, we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. Lord, and not conformed to this age, not conformed to good thoughts and opinions, not conformed to right and wrong and perfect doctrines and everything else, Lord. Not conformed to any of that, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, that we might know you, Lord, and have the mind of Christ, which is mind-blowingly broad and big, bigger than, than we know. And Lord, and I pray for people here this morning, Lord, that are carrying the tremendous work and burden of, of pain and unforgiveness, Lord, which is one of the hardest things to, to lay down a battlement. A, Lord, let them today, in, in, by your Spirit, at least begin, Lord, to build a bridge across the chasm, Lord, for their own sake, Lord, for our sakes, Lord, and for your kingdom's sake. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would burn something of this message in our heart today, and we, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.